Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. I'm going to start at verse 1 and read to verse 6. The heading, I'll give you the heading again. I know we covered this last class. We'll quickly go back over verse 1. The heading for the section that we're in now in chapter 7 is the believer is dead to the law. And that's verses 1 through 6. The believer is dead to the law. Verses 1 through 6. And I'm going to go ahead and read it and then dive in. Whenever you're there, say amen. 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 Know you not, brethren, for I speak to them who know the law, how that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. We covered verse 1 of chapter 7 last class. We're going to quickly hit back through it again. Dad, just go ahead and read all of verse 1. Know you not, brethren, for I speak to them who know the law, how that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Romans chapter 7 is one of the most important chapters in the entirety of the Word of God respecting the Christian's walk and its victory. Paul thought surely after he was saved and baptized with the Holy Spirit that he could live a victorious, overcoming Christian life, but to his dismay found that he could not, at least with the light he had at that moment. This led him to exclaim, O wretched man that I am! Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? We see that in verse 24 of the chapter. In this seventh chapter, the Holy Spirit through the apostle outlines the reason for the failure of the believer. Sin is not to have dominion over us, but yet it does in many Christians' lives. Romans 7 tells us this happens. Know you not, brethren, for I speak to them who know the law, how that law has dominion over man. As long as he lives, every single one of us, every single human being that has ever lived and will ever live, is born under the law. Christ himself was born under the law. Remember in chapter 6, of Romans chapter 6, verse 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And remember we talked about that. Not with the government of law, the government of grace. You're not under the government of law, but under the government of grace. You're not under the covenant of law, but the covenant of grace. 
to think of it as covenant as the I, I, I took a covenants class while I was in Bible college, and that really uh, helped me to understand some things a little bit better. God has never worked outside of the covenant anywhere in Scripture. It does not exist. Everywhere in Scripture, there was a covenant that God worked within the confines of that covenant. From the very beginning to right now. Always within a covenant. The covenant that has been made right now is between God and Christ. Yeah. The new covenant. And there, it's so great that there will never be a need of another covenant. It's the everlasting covenant. That's how great it is. There is no need for any other covenant. But he's always worked within the confines of a covenant. So to think of it like that, um, when the Lord opened that up to me in my own studying and just reading the word, it, it, some things begin to click. And especially with this chapter, it begins to click a little bit better. Uh, it's part of it because of the example and the analogy that Paul uses in this chapter to show law grace. Law grace. So uh, just put that, in, just get that in your head. Covenant, 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 covenant. We are under, you can only be under one or the other. You're either under the covenant of law or the covenant of grace. You actually cannot exist in both. If you do, there's a name for that and we'll learn about it as we go through this chapter. <laughs> so, every single person, when we are born, naturally born, we are already under the covenant of law. We're born under the law. So in verse 1, how that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. We are born under the dominion <laughs> of the law. We are born in the covenant of law. We all answer to the law. Every unsaved person will answer to the law. That's the law of Moses. God, which is God's law. Under the covenant of law, it's all about you and what you do and don't do. That's what the whole covenant is about. Do this, don't do this. And you have to do it perfectly or else you're worthy of death. Because if law doesn't demand obedience, then it's not law. If something is truly a law, there's always a penalty attached to failure to keep it. And we, you can just use human laws, if you, if you are caught speeding, you're going to get a ticket. The penalty for breaking the law of the speed limit is a ticket. So, what it, it, it's law, it demands obedience, and if broken, the penalty that you will find is you're going to get a ticket and you're going to, you're going to have to pay uh, money. <laughs> uh, a decent amount of money. <laughs> <laughs> all, <laughs> all law demands obedience and there's a penalty in it. Every man, woman, boy, girl is born under the law of the covenant of law. We're all born under. So we enter like that. And that's what verse 1 is basically saying. No, you're not, brethren. I speak to them who know the law. How that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. You're just over every man. As long as he lives, the law has dominion. There's no way out. There's no escape. 
so now we get into verse 2, and we'll see the Holy Spirit through Paul is an analogy. Verse 2, that For the woman which has an husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. Presents the first statement of an analogy used by Paul to describe the law and the believer under the new covenant. The marriage relationship is used by the Holy Spirit as an illustration. So for the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he liveth. So just the analogy is just simply a marriage. If two are married, and guess what that is? Marriage is a covenant. Right. If two are married, they are bound to one another by the, in that covenant. As long as they are both alive, in the eyes of God, forget how the world views it, in the eyes of God, they are bound to one another. Uh, the next part. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. Simply means that she is now free in the eyes of God and may marry again if she desires. So, if the husband dies, then the woman is free from that covenant, and she is free to marry another man, <laughs> to enter into another covenant. Death changes one covenant and sets the woman free to enter another covenant. Right. So the whole idea is just, we just sum it up right here. Death changes relationship. Right. It looses the covenant vow and bonds. Death does that. So that, okay, we all, death, death changes relationship. Yes. Amen. Amen. Death, <laughs> death, death. Changes relationship very simply. That just that's the easiest way to just quickly. Death changes relationship and looses the covenant vow and bonds. First uh, three. So then, if while her husband lives, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. We now see a woman with two husbands, making her an adulteress. Two husbands are the law yeah. and Christ. So if the woman is married to both, then she is called an adulteress. And remember, we have to remember this is what the Holy Spirit is using to show how God views it. This is how God views it. If a say a woman, if a believer is attempting to live under both covenants, the covenant of law and the covenant, the new covenant, the covenant of grace, it, it's as if it's God views it as a woman that has two husbands. You, you have two, you're, you're in a committed relationship with two. And God views it as adultery. So what we see here is spiritual adultery. This hasn't been taught 
And for a fact, I know for a fact, this has not been really truly taught and hammered on in the church world. And that's, I don't care what denomination, that's across the board. Because in every denomination, law isn't really viewed as that big of a deal. To be under, to be committed to law keeping isn't really viewed as a big deal. In any denomination across the board, because honestly, we just didn't know. I just we just we just didn't really know. But yet, right here, the the Holy Spirit God reveals how He views it: spiritual adultery. We we have no problem. We have no problem calling out legitimate adultery. We got, we got, we, uh, there's no problem in the church world. <laughs> not calling out adultery. I'm talking about physical adultery. We have zero, we have zero issue calling that out for the most part. But it's the spiritual adultery that we. I, I've never heard it in my entire, and my dad's, my dad's been a pastor my whole life. And I've never heard it one time. Okay, so God calls a believer living in this state an adulteress. If a believer attempts to serve Christ, but at the same time tries to hold on to some type of law, in effect, that believer is committing spiritual adultery. Because, once again, you're trying to live under two covenants. Yeah. yeah. You can't. That's not possible. Right. Mm -hmm. The believer has pledged himself to Christ, but at the same time is playing footsie with another, <laughs> with another effort or law, attempting to attain the results that only Christ can yeah, give. Right. Yeah. The believer not only won't gain anything by this action, but will greatly hurt himself, not only in the results, but also in the relationship with Christ. The believer most of the time is not deliberately trying to find victory from other sources. And that's, that's important to understand. Sometimes we just be so ready to blast people, but the, a lot of people just do not know. They just don't know. He actually thinks he is depending solely upon Christ while all the time depending upon his own strength or even the strength of others. Uh, I've seen that personally a lot. Uh, especially, especially with those that have what 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 we would consider serious bondage. There's not to be unequally yoked. My husband is dead from my first marriage, but my yeah. husband now's wife is still alive. Right. So what is talking about spiritual adult. This is where a lot of people get. Way lost on this I scripture. So all, we're talking about sin, and then all of a sudden, Paul starts talking about marriage and yeah. adultery. It's like, well, that's right. You tell him about adultery, Paul. But <laughs> really, what Paul is saying yeah. is, is still connected to sin and living a victorious life. And the adultery is just simply an analogy that he yeah. uses right. to yeah. show what's happening in the spiritual. Yeah. So when a lot of people do read it, and then they. They think of 
Literally. Literal adultery. That's not what Paul's talking about. Let me say this. We should not take this analogy and bring it into the cultural view of marriage and and divorce in our culture here. This was an analogy given back in their time. Notice that it didn't say anything about the man. It said the woman. And it was because a woman was not allowed to divorce. Period. Yeah. That's why I'm asking questions. In that culture, the man could put away his wife. Yes. The woman could never, and if she was ever married to another, uh, she couldn't even be married to another man if her husband was still alive, even if he put her away. So he's using an analogy uh, based upon a cultural view of marriage that they would totally understand to make a spiritual point about spiritual adultery. So to take this in the natural and apply it to some kind of marriage thing for us today would be... Are you totally saying that, sure? Yes, I am. Yeah. I, it, it, you shouldn't take this as yeah. uh, bringing it into our... I don't know how hard culture. it is to walk straight and be right. Yeah, it, it's this... It, you, you have to go to Rome, uh, to First Corinthians 7 if you really want to hear about the marriage, the, the actual marriage. This is not trying to make mm-hmm. any kind of any kind of instruction on how we view marriage yes. and divorce yeah. it has nothing to do with it he's yeah. just trying to give an analogy concerning yeah. christ really yeah. What's a this is analogy? all about christ it's a it's actually a beautiful analogy um, let you, i'm going to let you go on a little bit here but i, I, I want to share something at, at some point that that maybe help maybe Please help do. bring shed some light <laughs> but just try to follow the analogy that that uh, the, the, the analogy really has more to do with the death of Christ. Yes. That's the whole point that we're trying yes. to make. Not just the death of Christ, but our death in relation to him so that we are free from. But I'll let him go ahead and continue on and then we will. Because we're dead. Yes. Then we the will. Reason, the, reason that he, the reason that that the Holy Spirit chose to use the marriage bond as the analogy because honestly, as far as human beings go, it's the strongest bond that, that, that we have is the marriage bond that God, the way God set it up is that what a, a man and a woman are joined together and are never meant to be separated. So the strength of the bond is really what's in view here. That the bond between the wife and the husband is so strong that it's never meant to be separated. And that's that's how strong our bond was with the law. Yes. yes. Right. So strong that it was never it, it, it wasn't it was that strong, not separated. So we were we were under that covenant and there was no there was in a sense no way out. That's right. Yeah. If, ex, but except the husband dies, but the law is never going to pass away. Right. Jesus said, "Not one jot or tittle will pass away." The, right now, the law of Moses still exists. The covenant of the law exists, and it will. It's going to keep existing. But there is a way to be loosed. From that covenant. Yeah. And Somebody the way is death. No. 
Someone has to die. You don't never wish nobody dead. It's the, it's a spiritual thing, though, not no, even spiritually. Man. I wouldn't wish them dead. We'll get what watch though. Let it play out. Okay. I'm really confused. <laughs> just, just so you know. Uh, okay, but it, it says, but if her husband be dead, she is free from that law. If her husband dies, the woman is free from that covenant bond. Okay. So that she, and then it says, the scripture says, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So she would have the freedom to marry another man and, and not be considered an adulteress because he died. Yeah, or he died. Yeah, that poor fellow. <laughs> <laughs> so th this would, so she's free to enter into another covenant. covenant. That's the idea. Okay, verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law. Okay, now this is where, because at first, Paul uses the analogy of a marriage bond, because it's so strong. And he says that the only way that a woman can be free to marry another man is if the husband were to die. Death now releases the woman from that covenant and she's free to enter another covenant. And then what gets confusing, because it can be confusing, what gets confusing is now we get to verse 4 and it's like, whoa, hold up. Wait a minute. Now it seems like Paul just totally changed and said something else because what he says in verse 4 is, Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. Oh, okay, wait a minute. If the husband in the first analogy is pictured as the law and the husband dies, and that enables the, the woman, the believer, to marry another, which is Christ. But then here he says, the law didn't die, you die. So it's like, well, wait, hold up, wait, 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 wait. Paul, that is straight up. What are you, I'm, I'm lost, Paul. <laughs> but then what happens is he just uses the analogy to show that death changes relationship. Yes. Death, death releases from the covenant and enables someone to enter another covenant. Death enabled you to be released from the covenant of law That's right. yes. to enter into a new covenant. Yes. Yes. The covenant of grace, sure. the new covenant. And now there's three men in the mix. Well, now there's just Christ. <laughs> yeah. now, now there's just three. So he's on. What's that? It goes back to Romans It goes right back to Romans 6 3 because we've seen we're baptized into Christ. Two. We were in crucified two. with Christ. That when Therefore, he died, yes. he died, we died. When he yes, died, died, I died because I was in him. Yes. That's right. Yes. So I was right. I was held in a covenant with the law. Yes. And I had no way out. That's yeah. right. So the lie doesn't the lie doesn't apply to you now? Now I have been crucified to the law. Yeah. That I'm no longer bound by that covenant. Mm -hmm. I've been freed from that covenant to enter into the new covenant. Yes. Alright, so, wherefore, my brethren, you also become dead to the law by the body of Christ. This causes some confusion respecting this analogy drawn by Paul 
respecting the husband who mm -hmm. had died. Once again, mm -hmm. the husband did not die. Yeah. You died. Yeah. Basically, the wife is the one that would pass away. Instead, Paul now says that the wife or the believer has died to the law instead of the law being dead to the believer. The real point that Paul is trying to make in this symbolism is of a woman who is a type of a believer who attempts to be married to two husbands, the law and Christ. When he used the statement, are become dead to the law, he is referring to to the fellowship with Christ in his death. So through our fellowship with Christ in his death at Calvary, we are now loosed from the law. When Jesus died on Calvary, the believer died with him. Therefore, through that death, the believer is free from the marriage covenant he had with the law and is now free to enter a new covenant with Christ. Uh, the, that phrase, are become dead, means you were made dead, put to death. It speaks of great violence. In other words, there is absolutely no doubt that the believer is dead to the law and sin. The law of Moses was divided into two parts. The first is the ceremonial law, which consisted of the feast days circumcision, Sabbath-keeping, and sacrifices. The second part is the moral law, which consisted of the Ten Commandments minus the fourth, because the fourth is ceremonial, is the Sabbath. The, cer the ceremonial part of the law was meant to point to Christ and to symbolize Christ. When he came, it was all fulfilled in him, in himself. Therefore, there is no more need for the symbolism. The moral law is still incumbent upon believers today because moral law cannot change. However, even though the moral law is very much alive and incumbent upon all believers, that law was and is kept in Christ. Right. Meaning that he lives in us keeping the moral law. As well, Jesus personally and perfectly kept the moral law in every respect in the sum 33 and a half years yeah. of his uh, earthly life. And our faith in him grants grants us in the eyes of God the, stat, the status of law keepers instead of law breakers. Everything that we receive from God is by faith. Yes. Your righteousness is by faith in what Christ has done and it's imputed to you. Your your law-keeping life, that comes by faith, too. Everything is by faith. Everything. It's freely granted to you by faith in what Christ has done. He kept the law perfectly for you who couldn't keep the law perfectly. None of us. None of us can keep it perfectly. Which means everybody that was, every one of us, bound to the law at all. We, we've all broken the law also at some point. We've not kept it all at every point. And the reality is, is that sometimes we relate the moral law of Moses 
as being something that Christians should never forget. We ought to make sure that we, 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 we remember that as if somehow it was some higher standard that we need to remember when actually the law of Christ is a higher standard. It's higher because it deals with the heart, not just the action, not just what you do. The law of Moses could never deal with the, the heart because it only dealt with if you actually committed adultery, you were guilty of the law. It did, there was no way for them to know if you thought about it. <laughs> Jesus said, if you look upon another woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already. He raised the standard. And so there was a difference in what Jesus bought through grace. Grace actually brings a higher standard for the believer. The difference is, is now through Christ, we have someone who actually helps us. He undergirds us. He, you said a while ago, he is the keeper of the moral law in us, which is why when the believer truly, even if he just thinks wrong, he's convicted. Yeah. Where does that come from? It doesn't come from some, some guilty conscience. It comes from the Holy Spirit on the inside, convicting him and pricking him of that. And that, and that thing is dealt with. So by the time we're finished, actually, with in, in, in our relation, in our journey with Christ to glorification, you talk about a perfect law keeper. The Bible says we're going to be like him in every way. That's where we're going. That's our journey. And by faith, we already have that position in him. The, the body of Christ uh, speaks of Christ offering his physical body as a sin offering on Calvary's cross. In the vehicle of his body, he died to the law, which means by faith in him and what he did means that we died to the law also. His dying means he suffered its, its penalty and met its demands. Now that Christ, uh, I'll, present, I'll present you this question. Christ has walked this life, this earth, lived a perfect life, never, he never sinned one time. We, do we all agree? Yeah. Praise God, we're yeah. awesome. <laughs> he, he never sinned one time, and then he went to Calvary and he died. And the penalty of the broken law is death, and that's separation from God for eternity. But yet Christ rose from the dead, which means that he didn't have any sin. Otherwise, right. he could not have risen from the dead. Right. Yeah. If, if Christ would have sinned at any point, broken the law at any single point in thought, in deed, action, anything, then he could not have risen from the dead. Because then he would be guilty of sin, and the penalty for sin is death. But yet, he rose from the dead. So he lived the perfect life, then he died, and then he rose from the dead, and now he's in a, seated at the right hand of the Father in, in glorified state. Does the law apply to Christ right now? No. Why doesn't it he's apply? Dead. He's, he's, he's dead and been resurrected, so now the law has no more hold over him. Yeah. He is the law. The law doesn't apply. You can't apply to him now because he's died. He's already kept it perfectly and then he died. And now he's already glorified. 
at the right hand of the Father. When he walked the face of the earth, he walked as a man. Yes. So he's, but the, the idea is that he's not under the law anymore. Right. He's not. Mm. He's the judge now. <laughs> he will be the judge. Now, well, remember though, because we're in Christ, what's true of Christ is true of you. Because you're in Christ. So if the law doesn't apply to Christ any longer, because he's in a glorified state right now, I'm in Christ. Which means that when God looks at me, he sees me as I'm already glorified. Therefore, if it doesn't apply to Christ, then guess who it does not apply to anymore either? Me. 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 If it applies to me and I'm in Christ, then that means it must apply to Christ still. But if it can't apply to him, then it can't apply to me. The believer who is saved and in Christ must now take his faith to a greater degree than that of the believing sinner. He must also believe that he was in Christ when these great things were done, including the resurrection, and that this great happening broke the dominion of sin, and that continued faith in this great event and his part in it guarantees that it stays broken, even to where the sin nature is so isolated that it no longer is a bother or trouble to the believer. Uh, Dan, the next that you should be married to another. Now this refers to Christ. That you should be married to another refers to Christ. He alone can provide all that is needed and in whatever capacity. We are dead to the law through the cross. Meaning that it has no more hold on us. And because Jesus met its every requirement. We are free to marry Christ which we have done. The keeping of the law of Moses was incumbent upon all. However, all failed until Christ. As the representative man, Christ kept the law of Moses in every single respect. And faith in him grants to the believer the satisfaction of the law in every respect also. In every single respect. And when you think about it, because... Uh, just the natural mind sometimes would say that's not fair. That's not fair. How is that fair? Christ kept the law perfectly and because you believe in him, now you're given that perfect righteousness. That he is your representative man and because he lived perfectly then, and you believe upon him just by simple faith, then Christ, then God sees you as a perfect law keeper. How is that fair? It's actually perfectly fair because remember, you didn't do anything to receive a sin nature. Right. You got it because Adam blew it. Yeah. Born into it. Born into it. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> sorry, Adam, but you blew it. Yeah. He was our representative man in the garden. Right. And because he blew it, we all blew it. Right. We are, because of Adam, we were all condemned for death. This is where, for, for those people that say that the old covenant is just, just that the old covenant. 
The Old Testament, we don't need the Old Testament. That's garbage. If you don't understand the Old Testament, you're not going to fully understand the New Testament. The two just totally overlap. The, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So, and there are people, people believe this, that, that, that because, because Christ kept the law perfectly, and by faith, God has decided to give you perfect righteousness and see you as a perfect law keeper, that that's not fair. But yet, what they received from Adam is exactly the same. So you better hope, you better hope that what... That's right. What you have in Christ That's is right. legit. That's right. <laughs> because you receive the same thing. Yeah. You receive the opposite from Adam. Right. But religion, religion, religion in man, pride and religion, self-righteousness, no, that's not fair. That is not fair at all. You know what? They, we should all have to answer. And we answer by faith. Either Christ took your place in every respect, or he didn't take your place in anything. Yeah. Yeah. Adam was your representative, and you didn't even want it. He's fine. He's fine. But now you have a choice. He really is. <laughs> now you have a choice. You can either have Christ as your representative, and he answers for you in everything. The only one who would think that 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 is not fair is one who believes that he has some righteousness within himself yeah, right. yeah. apart yeah. from Christ. Yeah. Yes. He might admit he's not perfect and he needed some help, yeah. but he still feels like he has more righteousness than that guy over there in prison who deserves to be there. Right. <laughs> but I have lived a good life and I just needed a little help from God. The truth is, yeah. is that we all needed total redemption right. yes. we were in a pit <laughs> and he found us there <laughs> consequently the believer is no longer obligated to the law because its demands have already been met with the believer now free and qualified to marry the one who met those demands let me present it to you this way if I bought my parents at home Thank you, son. <laughs> <laughs> and I went and purchased a home for my parents, something that they could never purchase themselves. If I went and bought them a $500,000 home and I paid for it in full, and I said, it's yours, all you have to do is take the keys and act like it's yours. Mm. But then what my dad attempts to do now they would actually, in real life, they would actually do this. <laughs> for the for the using it as an example about what we have in Christ and what He's done. I fully paid for the home. There is nothing that they need to do except believe it and take the keys and enjoy but, the home and enjoy the home. But if they instead they go make payments every month. It's already paid for, but yet they're putting, they're putting, they're paying every month like they owe, and they have to do something 
No, we can't. We can't take the keys. We can't. We must do something. They never. They they don't enjoy the house first of all. Right. And then they're wa- they're wasting their time and money. Right. Because I've already paid for it. Now this is how I would view it: a total slap in the face. Yes. What do you, I've already done everything that you need. Why won't you live in the house? I've already done it. We we do the same thing with Christ. In, right in the faith. You, we, if we, we backhand God in the face every day that we look to the law. And we say, I must do this. And Christ is saying, I've already done it. Son, daughter, I've kept it perfectly for you. And you could never do it to begin with. I've already done what you need. Why won't you take it? Right. And we say, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you did it. Thank you, Lord. But here's my payment. Here's my righteousness. And the Bible says that it's filthy rags. Right. Right. Yeah. We all do, we all understand what that actually meant when that and when that was said in scripture. Yeah. We're all adults here, so but it, it really reveals how God views it, the grossness of it. Yeah. He, it was filthy rags was a picture of the rags that a female would use when she was on her monthly cycle. And that your righteousness is you offering that up to God. And he's already given you perfect righteousness. Perfect law keeping. Yeah. But yet, thank you Lord, but I've got to do my part. Right. You do have a part to play in his faith. Right. Then you would be angry. It would be, yeah, you would get frustrated. It was like you never gave me anything. You would get really frustrated. I'll tell you right now, you would live a miserable Christian life. That's what I'm You would live a miserable Christian life. You would be under so much bondage and condemnation because the moment that you set out to keep the law, the only thing that you would find is that you can't. That you can't. I, very simply, I, I, I'll, there's there's something that I saw back in the day whenever I was just just in my reading in the morning. I was in Bible college at the time, I think, and I was reading Genesis, uh, and I was reading the account in the garden. And in the garden, Adam and Eve had no sin nature, and they only had. They had a perfect atmosphere, perfect situation and circumstance. They had it going on. They had every. I mean, the world says that if you if you have problems, if you problems, if you're sinning, which is called for it, if you're sinning, then it's your it's your situation, your surroundings, environment. Thank you. It's your environment that's causing that. Okay, well, let's go look in Genesis in the Garden of Eden and let's see if that belief actually holds up with Scripture. 
And it doesn't because they had the perfect environment. They did. Mm -hmm. Mom, they did. They they didn't have to work. Hello. Everything was provided for that. They didn't have to work. There was no laboring. There was no sweating. There was only one tree they could not eat. There was one law. One. One law, and they didn't even have a sin nature. Because yeah, right. the sin nature is the thing in us that just propels us towards the wrong thing. Yeah. They didn't even have that. And they didn't have ten commandments. They had one. Yeah. And yet they didn't keep it. Yeah. Now we have ten. And a sin nature. And a yes. sin nature. Yes. But yet we still fall for the same deception and lie. Then we can right. keep it. You're right. Well, some of us wake up in the morning to see how many of them can pray. Some of them. Some of them. Some yeah. of them. <laughs> but that, you see the... They had no sin nature, one law, perfect environment, couldn't yeah. keep it. We yeah. have a sin nature, horrible environment. We're, yeah. we're surrounded oh, by sin in yeah. every... every Every direction. It's hard that sin is there. Present. The world, the flesh, the devil, all these things are yeah. there. The sin nature is with us. And everybody's self-centered and it's all about them. Yeah. You're right. And so when you do something, you offend them because it's yeah. all about them. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah. One of the main things that happened at the fall of the sin nature is self-consciousness. Yeah. They were once God-conscious. Yeah. They were always naked. Yeah. I'll just, let me just, we'll just, they were always naked. They didn't know it because they were so God conscious. Yeah. Yeah. But then when they fell, they ate of the fruit. They fell from, they lost God consciousness and went to self consciousness. Now they saw that they were naked. Then when God showed up, who they used to walk with in the yeah. cool of the day on a daily basis, and now they ran and hid. Yeah. Yeah. And then they made their own clothing, yeah. fig leaves. Yeah. That one of the, that's one of the biggest things from the fall. Is every, everything's about self. Yeah. Me. I me. My feelings. My kingdom. Yeah. My desires. My will. And if you're blocking that and getting in the way, you got to go, brother. We don't, this is really what we, this is really what we say. If you're, which we don't actually say it, but in our heart, if you're blocking my will, my desire, my plan, my kingdom, then you need to die. Because that's really what we're saying. Because really, we're saying that you're in the way and you need to go. So another result of the fall in the sin nature is never my fault. Everybody, Everybody else. else's fault. Mm -hmm. Even in Him who is raised from the dead presents the believing sinner as identifying with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. Consequently, the law now has no more jurisdiction over Him, and for the obvious reasons. The old man died and was buried with Christ, meaning the law now has no more dominion over that person, especially considering that he has passed out of the realm where the law holds sway. But like we talked about earlier, the law only holds sway mm -hmm. here in this life, but yet we've all passed on in Christ. And because Christ has died and was risen, is now glorified and seated at the right hand of the Father, the law has no jurisdiction over him and has no sway because he's not, 
He's paid innocence. He's passed over. He's not even in the United States anymore. If someone commits a crime in Louisiana, they rob the store, and then they flee, and they go to Brazil. Even though he committed a crime in Louisiana, the law enforcement in Louisiana cannot go to Brazil yeah. and pick him up because they do not have jurisdiction yeah. in Brazil. Yeah. Hello, the law has jurisdiction right here, baby, and you are in Christ. You yes. have been crucified yes. with Christ, buried with him, raised unto newness of life. You are now seated at the right hand of the Father yes. as though you are in a glorified state. You have left the state of Louisiana. Yes. You are now in heaven. See with him in heavenly places. That's good. And there's no jurisdiction for the law in heaven. Hallelujah. That's right. There is zero. Makes me happy because I can count. I don't have enough fingers and toes to count how many times I've blown it. How many times I've broken the law. It just, it failed. He is resurrected with Christ, in effect, in Christ, to walk in newness of life, a life incidentally free of the law, because as stated, its demands have been met in Christ. The believer is not under law anymore. Consequently, a Christian who puts himself under law is a defeated Christian by failing to avail himself to the resources of grace. And that Christian is now living in a state of spiritual adultery. That's how serious it actually is. While the law incites the Christian to more sin, even as it always does, yet the law is not responsible for that sin. But the evil nature, the sin nature in us, which only can be conquered as the believer cries, Who shall deliver me? And then looks away from himself and self-dependence to the Lord Jesus and what he has already done. Amen. Uh, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Proclaims the only way that such fruit can be brought forth. The hindrance Amen. to our living. Such a life is dependence on the flesh instead of Christ. We are, we are dead to our relationship with the law and the covenant of law. The law doesn't make us righteous any longer. Law keeping doesn't make you righteous. Law keeping doesn't make you right with God in any way, shape, fashion, or form. Keeping the law is not my measuring stick for righteousness. Christ is now my measuring stick for righteousness. Law doesn't define you any longer. Only Jesus defines you. Amen. No more rules and routines to follow to make me righteous. Praise God. Amen. Uh, if you've ever lived under the burden of law keeping, then you understand the passage of scripture that says, come unto me all yeah. you who labor in Father will give you rest. That is because when you're living under law, you don't have rest. Because you you constantly got to perform. I've got to do. I've got. I've got to. 
I've got to do this. I've got to pray this long today. I've got to read this many chapters today. I've got to fast today or whenever. I've got to do this. I ha I've got to. I have got to do this to be right with God. If I don't, if I don't be right with, if I don't do this, God is looking at me with a frowny face. And he's ready to cast me into utter darkness. We don't ever say it, but that's really the thought process. There's so much bondage. And you never experience the joy, peace, and all of the other things that are described that you have in Christ. We never experience it. Now, that's what I would call being miserably saved. Yeah. Didn't say you weren't saved, but you 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 live as though you're not saved, and you you brother Bob Cornell would say that you it's like you've been baptized in vinegar and sucking on lemons. That <laughs> <laughs> that's how Christians live like that. A lot of Christians live like that. Like, well, I'm just I'm just. And this is, we don't actually say it, but this being a Christian of suffering for Christ, and we're miserable. We're like, we don't have any joy, peace, hope, nothing in the Lord. We're just like, we're just, blah. Christ can bring forth fruit in my life when I am dead to the law. When you're truly dead to the law and your faith is in Christ and what he's done and you are dead to the law, you're going to see fruit. Lord, you're going to see fruit like what the type of fruit that they brought back from the promised land. So big that they needed a stick and two people to carry it. That's the type of fruit that I want in my life. Amen. Yeah. And you'll never get that under the law. No. Only in Christ. We're not going to go any farther. I know we're, we've been a few places in it, and I would be lying to you if I told you that Romans chapter 7 is the easiest thing to understand. It, it's, it's not. not. Some of the, and we'll see it as we go along, some of the translation for the, in the King James is, is kind of funky. So it makes it, it, makes it hard to understand. Just it can make it a little tricky to understand. Uh, I'm, I, as we go, as we go through it, I'll, I'm going to give you the better way that probably would have been better for it to be translated. Uh, it's just there's no perfect translation. Everything has its great translations, and then it's so uh, it can be a little. I know it's it, the best thing I can tell you is seek the Lord, seek the Lord, Lord, show me, Lord, show me what. Show me what this means. I'm, you might have heard things tonight you've never heard before. The idea of <laughs> take that, take that to the Lord, and he'll, he, the Lord wants right. to teach you. Lord, right. He doesn't want to keep anything from you. Yeah. He wants to teach you, and He wants you to see and understand the Word of God, His Word in truth. You know, we talk about everything that we have in Christ. Honestly, He's everything to us. Yeah. Everything. Uh, it, you guys probably all know this song. My hope is built on nothing less. Yes, amen. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust 
the sweetest friend. Our holy lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. On the ground it's sinking sand. All the ground is sinking sand. When darkness fails, his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anger holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Hallelujah. His oath, His covenant, His blood, support me in my whelming flood. And all around my soul gives away. He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. Dressed in his righteousness alone. Fallen stand before his throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground. Praise the Lord. Glory.